If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard the beauty of the Word of God. Maybe some of the most beautiful words ever written, but the beauty of them is that not just that they are poetry, but because they express the love of God toward us in Jesus Christ. Yes, we are called to those heights. And yet the ultimate expression is in the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling those words. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these words that we have wrestled with this summer that we have been renewed by, challenged by, convicted by, encouraged by. Thank you, Lord. And as we finish today this passage, will you do what you want with us? We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And so we pray for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Well, if you're visiting with us, uh, perhaps in the, the prayer you got a, a sense of what we've been doing through the summer. We have been in this passage of 1 Corinthians 13, and I know those of us that have uh, preached messages have uh, experienced God's conviction in our own lives, and uh, we have heard from many of you how He has used this uh, in your lives This summer, we're going to finish up the passage today and look at uh, the last portion, which begins with a transitional statement, love never ends, in verse 8. Love never ends. Some of your versions may say, love never fails. What, when I say it's a transitional statement, it is a transition from the, the verses that came right before that and the ones that he finishes uh, the passage with. He's going to um, contrast love here with uh, spiritual gifts. If you remember the, the first message that we did this summer on 1 Corinthians We looked at the first verse, but also the last verse of the passage uh, where he says this, as we just heard, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, what we're talking about today is one of the reasons that, that love is the greatest, it never ends. It is permanent, and it's perfect. See, those other qualities, hope and faith, at some point, those will become sight. In other words, that which we hope for and that which we have faith in, at some point, as this passage indicates... We won't need to hope anymore because we're, we're in the presence of that to which we hoped. We are in the, we'll be in the presence of the one in whom we had faith. And so those won't be necessary any longer. But when we are in that presence, we will be in the very presence of love. And that's what this passage indicates to us. In fact, the reason love endures is because it's an attribute of God that describes God himself. That's what attributes are, of course. But in 1 John 4, 8, it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then 4.16 in 1 John. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now here's, here's the point. Love is not just something God does. It's not just something we're real happy because he, he loves a lot. Now that's true. But what the scripture indicates is 
That is his identity. That's who he is. And because he is perfect and because he is eternal, if that's who he is, that's why love will endure forever. So, he begins the contrast then between the the permanent and the perfect with the impermanent and the imperfect. Verse 8, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, there's a sermon series there. I promise you that could easily be a a full sermon series. But for today, we're going to focus on why he even mentions these. In chapter 12, Paul had talked about the importance of spiritual gifts. In fact, we used that uh, uh, at the very beginning of the summer uh, when we had our ministry fair. And we talked about uh, the gifts and, uh, and studied those more. And then in chapter 14, he's going to talk about tongues again. Now, when we were in the book of Acts, we spent a good bit of time periodically talking about uh, tongues, and so we, we won't talk about that again today. But sandwiched between those two, not out of place, but exactly in place, we have 1 Corinthians 13, where he, he punctuates uh, both the importance of, of gifts and using the spiritual gifts rightly with the importance of love and the characteristic of love. Now, let me give you a side note here. Uh, in case you go to a commentary and say, you know, I'm so interested. I'm, I'm going to look up 1 Corinthians uh, 13 today in this passage. I know a lot of you do that on Sunday afternoon. I'm, I, I feel that you do anyway. So, But let me give you a side note. Uh, there are a number of people that will use this passage uh, to uh, try to say that prophecies and tongues have ceased in our day. Now, I happen to believe that prophecies and tongues that have to do with revelation have ceased. And we talked about that as we went through the book of Acts But I don't think this passage is the best passage to go to if you're wanting to prove that. In fact, I think I could argue (laughs) maybe from the other side better from uh, this passage. So uh, if you're wanting to prove that that they've ceased, I think think this is not the place because what the emphasis here is, is that when the perfect comes, then, then they'll cease. And so we have to cope with what this perfect one coming really is, which we'll talk about in a minute. So prophecies, it says, will pass away. 
the, the word translated, and by the way, it's basically the same word for each of these. Uh, the word translated, pass away, could also mean set aside or to cease, uh, to become idle, inactive, unproductive, and my word, redundant, not necessary anymore. Now, why does he say prophecies will pass away? Well, because at best, at best, we prophesy in part. Okay? So those are going to go away. What about tongues? Well, it doesn't explain why they'll cease, but he is about to have a full discussion of that in 1 Corinthians 14, and then he mentions knowledge. Again, the imperfection of knowledge, we know in part, he says. In other words, our prophecies, tongues, and knowledge are imperfect, and they're not going to last. And then here's why. Verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, there's a lot of views. Again, when you look at your commentary this afternoon, there's a lot of views in terms of uh, what the, the perfect coming is. But rather than give you all those views, let me just tell you from my study, and uh, I've been convinced uh, that the context really clarifies what the perfect coming means. I'm convinced he's talking about when Christ returns and consummates history. So when the perfect one, when Christ comes, at that time, the spiritual gifts of believers are not going to be relevant any longer. They'll cease. Our imperfect gifts on earth are going to be superseded by a perfect state of knowledge. Now let me show you why I believe the con text dictates this. He gives three illustrations here. Uh, the first one, ver, uh, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I cannot read this without thinking of Mr. Duffield when I was in high school. He was my exploratory math teacher. And one day in the middle of, I was in a public high school, in the middle of class, uh, he quoted this to me. He, I don't know what I was doing at the time, but he felt led to, to uh, you know, talk to me about putting away my childish, you know, or have you ever heard this before, he said. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I actually said, oh, yes, that's 1 Corinthians 13, so which maybe made it worse that, uh, that I had heard of that before. I don't know what I was doing, what I was saying, and I know this is all hard for you to picture. <laughs> I get it. But he was describing the difference between the way a child acts and the way a mature one, an, an adult, a man, will act. 
That's not exactly the right application, although I deserved it, I'm sure. What he's said, what Paul is saying here is more along these lines. It's how a child's perspective is so different from an adult perspective. I recall um, I, I had spent several years from about age three to six and a half or something living in Independence, Missouri. Now, you know, I had, of course, memories of that, and uh, one time after I had uh, gotten a number of years older, we had occasion to go back to Independence, and we drove by our house. I couldn't believe it was the same house. Some of you have had this experience. I thought, in my mind, it was a huge mansion because I was only this tall at the time. And I thought the yard was huge, you know, to run from one end to the other. And when we drove by and they said, well, there it is, I said, that's not it. I, I just couldn't believe it was a, a tiny house and a tiny yard, and the houses were close together. I thought they were big, you know, acres between the houses at the time. Well, that's really, that's what Paul is, is getting at. He's saying that we've received God's revelation, the, the Bible, and it's amazing. And it's sufficient for salvation, but you know what? When the perfect one comes and, and we, we see him face to face, we're not going to say, oh man, I miss my Bible. I wish I had my, my, my Bible here. That's all going to go away. The wonder of that, the beauty of that, as important as it is for us now, and he's saying that's the way it's going to be when the perfect one comes. And then he, he goes on. He says, verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now that's not really the idea of talking about a mirror. Is not In that day was not a very common expression. But in Corinth it was. For some reason, they liked mirrors there, and they found them attractive, and they used them a lot, and so on. But here's the thing. I don't want you to picture mirrors like we have in our restrooms here that you have at home. Um, if you've ever seen an antique mirror, and you see how distorted it is, that's a little bit closer. But the mirrors he's talking about here would just be a polished piece of metal that would be laying down on a table when they look at it. Now, here's the thing. I'm not suggesting you do this if you're over 40, but if you ever look at a mirror on a table, well, you can scare yourself. Let's just put it that way. Because your face looks 
different. It, it's completely different. And you go, what? And that's, that's what he's getting at here. He said it's the difference, what we have now and, and what's to come, is the difference between that distortion and seeing clearly face-to-face, which is always going to be more clear. Today, we can only grasp a portion of the meaning of God's Word. I was talking with someone uh, this week about reading the Bible through. And uh, what I shared with that person was that, you know, I've read, I've read through the Bible for a number of years. I, it's just something that I'm practically legalistic about just because I want to read through the Bible every year, and so I use the one-year Bible and, and so on. Uh, and I wasn't bragging about that. It's just something that I do. But what I also said to the person, but you know what? As many times as I've read the Bible through, there are whole sections that I just don't get. I I don't understand them. And I get to them, and I still don't get them yet. Now, I'm not saying they're not understandable, because I think if I was preaching through them or or whatever, that, that they're able to be understood. But... Now we know in part. We understand in part. There'll be a day, however, when we see face to face and it'll be clear. I've heard uh, that one of the noises that we will hear most when we get to heaven is, oh. It'll be now I get it. Paul goes on then and says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So here Paul is saying, There'll come a time that when I'll know God and the things of God, get this, as fully as he knows me now. Do you hear that? Do you get that? We know that he knows us. He created us. He knows us inside and out. And he's saying there's a day that's coming when we will know him that way. Thanks be to God. And that's what he's emphasizing here. So, how do we apply this? We've been through a summer of applications in 1 Corinthians 13. I want to give you two two more categories. A near one and a far one. A close by one and a, a big picture one. It's football season. Anybody know that? And some of you are saying, I cannot believe he's bringing that up today. (laughs) Well, before I begin, uh, you know, with the application here, um, I told Connie last night, you know, it's actually going to be a little easier to say this because the two teams both lost. So I'm sorry 
evidently I'm responsible for both losses. So I will own that, okay? Think about this, though, in terms of how passionate we can be. And look, I love sports. And I love my teams. And I, I, you know, if that's one of the things that you enjoy, that's great. Wear your colors, root for your team, be positive about your team. But out of love for one another, don't let whatever happens on Saturday affect the Lord's Day. It is the Lord's Day. And so, what, a, what, a, what an amazing application of how we can be different from the world that is not going to let each other off the hook and that will dig at one another and that, that will start out with joking, but you know how it gets. It starts with joking and then all of a sudden it's penetrating your soul. Now, if you're not from around these parts, you may not even understand this. <laughs> but you can apply it to whatever teams from whatever parts you're, around, you're from. And that's just, that's just one application. And so some of you are saying, well, I don't even like football, so I must be fine with that. Well, that's, that's one less area where God will work in terms of sanctifying you. But there's something else. There's something else there where, where he needs to mold you in terms of how we treat one another. Do you remember how, how we got into this 1 Corinthians 13? It's because of our verse of the year. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And what a great place for us to be different from the world. The big picture application. This week, I had someone come into my office and ask me a question. Now, before I even tell you what the question is, I want to tell you this. Don't worry that if you come into my office, all of a sudden you're going to be an illustration on Sunday, okay? That's not going to be the case. In fact, later in the week as I was working on this, I called him up and I said, may I share this without your name? And I told him what I was planning to share, and he said, certainly. If he had said no, then you would not be hearing this now. He sat down in my office and he asked me this question. How can I love a terrorist? How can I love a terrorist? Well, I, I'll tell you a little bit of our conversation then. I, I said, well, there... There is, I do want to address that, but I, I want to 
first say that First Corinthians, I mean, uh, John 13, 34, and 35 is not talking about those out there. It's talking about love for one another, and he was fully aware of that. But there are plenty of places where Jesus says, love your enemy. So it is a very real question. We're called to love our enemies. When our hearts are moving toward hate, we have to separate the actions of the terrorist, which we can hate, from the person themselves. Because that person... That person's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. Now you may say, oh yeah, but how likely is that? Jesus loved a terrorist named Saul. Who was killing Christians and seeing that others were being persecuted. And he loved him so much that with his encounter, uh, Saul changed so much, they had to change his name to Paul. And so, we are to love. Not the actions, not the sin. And this is not a cliche, but we are to love the one who sins because they're in our category and we've been loved you know what encouraged me about that conversation what encouraged me the most is that he was grappling with the word of God and as your pastor that's all I can ask for For you to, you know, we're not going to have all the answers. We're not going to carry it out perfectly. We're going to fail in our love. But if we ever stop grappling, we will go to our default, which is unlovingness. It's hate. And so I was encouraged by that conversation. This series has convinced me all the more that our greatest opportunity to impact our world is to demonstrate genuine love for one another. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, imagined pagans looking at Christians, and as they look at Christians, them saying, look, how they love one another. And what would surprise them is because they knew that among the pagans, the tendency was to hate one another. And then he went further. He imagined them saying, look, how they're ready to die for one another because in their minds, among their friends who didn't know God, they would rather murder than to die for another. The only one that's ever loved perfectly 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, he dwells in you. That's how we can love one another. That's how we can love even a terrorist. Not in and of ourselves. I'm not capable of it. But Christ in me is. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. We're so grateful. And if we've heard anything today, if, if our hearts have been spoken to, it's because you're talking to us. Thank you for that. Will you enable us to love one another well? so that the Lord Jesus Christ will become even more famous. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.